Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it has the power to heal our hearts and heal our minds. It has a power to recenter us into truth. And so, Lord, this morning we just open our hearts and our minds um, to your word and to your spirit and ask, Lord, that we'll be encouraged, that we'd be... Um, Lord, I actually ask for, that your spirit would fill us with a boldness to respond in a powerful way to Chris's word this morning. Your word through Chris, in Jesus' name. Amen. Confessions out there. Okay, the first one is that because the screen cuts off here, I don't have my shirt tucked in. Okay. Oh, we already know about that? Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting way. But in all seriousness, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to be asked to share here today. And it's so important to me that I take that time to get right with God so that I can stand here and share the message He's put on my heart with each of you. I want to go back to last week. We were in the impending uh, stay-at-home orders. We've been told that from six o'clock, need to be home, essentials, all that kind of stuff. And all week, uh, me and my family, we've been looking forward to going to the circus, looking to take Dana to her first circus, get the family together, have a special time over the weekend. And with everything that was going on, we're getting emails about COVID safe practices and yes, we're going to go ahead and all these kind of things, we'd have to decide whether we're still happy to be in that situation. And what happened was we were, we were absolutely blessed with this opportunity. We got to go into the three o'clock session. They cancelled the nighttime session. We were the last show on the Central Coast to attend the famous Moscow Travelling Circus. It's so much fun. I highly recommend it. I think they've gone up to Port Macquarie now, so uh, hopefully... You can see them next time they're on the coast. But I've been there once before. Last time, Tash and I took my, our little nephew over there, and I saw all the acts, really enjoyed it, and was looking forward again to seeing what they were going to throw at us. So I noticed last time what they were doing was they'd call up volunteers, and there's a strong part of me that just wants to get up and go be a part of that. And now before you sort of get ahead of yourself in the story there, I didn't get asked to go up, but they did ask for volunteers. And I want to tell you that my response was one of quite eager willingness. Had my hand up, like, yeah, I'll go up. Like, not even knowing exactly what they were going to do. But as they went on, they had this particular act and they brought out a big piece of cardboard and they had the assistant go and stand near the cardboard, and they had another person throwing some knives straight onto this board. And I thought, oh, that's for me. I want to be that person that doesn't show any fear, that stands there, that gets the knife like right near, you know, whatever body part they're throwing it out, and just hits the board. And like, yeah, to me, that sounded like a lot of fun in my mind. And what happened was they come around and they started looking into the crowd. You know, they got the assistant and the knife throw and they're doing, you know, the fun circus mu music and they're looking through in the crowd, you know, looking and walking around. And 
look, there's another part of me that thinks that that's all rigged and people in the show sit in the crowd. That's another story. I won't go too far into that one. But I'd seen this guy. He'd warmed up. He threw knives at the assistant. I thought, yep, I want to be the volunteer. I'm going to be the most, I'm going to show that I'm the one that they need to get. And so while they were over that side of the arena, I was like, yeah, it's me. Come on. And, you know, people, the kids looking next to me like, oh, Chris, what what are you doing? And um, this interesting thing happened. As they come around the arena and they were getting closer and closer to, to seeing the section I was sitting in, I noticed that my hand and my eagerness just started deflating a little bit. I was starting to hide down in my seat. And when they actually got right in front of us, it was kind of like one of those weird, awkward, I don't have my hand up, but I do. They, they check with you. Are you actually putting it? Because I was just like this. And they went away. The show kept going on. And it wasn't until I was writing the message that I was thinking back on this little thing that happened. You know, I was so eager, so willing, so enthusiastic. But as I actually got the opportunity to be seen and to, st- to step out into that, the doubts, the fears, the unwillingness, the worries, whatever it was that happened to me, I found myself backing out at the last minute. And it reminded me of another story that I'd heard once before. And it's about a man that was rolling a wheelbarrow over Niagara Falls. Um, I think he's a fellow named Blondin or something like that. But he basically set up a tightrope. He was a professional tightrope walker. He'd set up a tightrope between Niagara Falls, two cliffs, and he'd walk all along. He'd do all kinds of stuff along there, get out there with his balance beam and all those things that people do. And he ended up getting a wheelbarrow, and he's wheeling the wheelbarrow, puts a big sack of uh, dirt or potatoes, whatever he put in there, and he'd rolled it back and forth. And uh, he'd, you know, cheer up the crowd, really get them enthusiastic, you know, who believes that I can do this blindfolded, you know, and he'd go out blindfolded. Who believes I can do it like this, you know, all these kind of things. And then one day he actually yells out to him, who believes I can roll a man across in this wheelbarrow? And everyone's like, yeah, of course he can do it, yeah, go for it, you can do this. And so he asked the crowd, okay, who's going to come and sit in the wheelbarrow? And that's where the crowd grew silent. Nobody was willing to risk it. Although they had professed that belief, nobody was willing to act on it. And the same thing happened to me with that knife-throwing thing at the circus. I've, I, I'm pretty sure I believed that, it was, that I would come to no harm if I went down there. I put my hand up, but when push come to shove, I couldn't put my faith in that person actually step out to go and do it. And so it is with our relationship with God. We can have belief, but until we put our faith in Him, until we step out into that, it doesn't look like faith in action. It doesn't show that I have a message from God to communicate if I'm not willing to live that out and to walk in that. So this this illustration about Niagara Falls Um, It's a really good picture of what clear faith looks like. Not only do I profess the belief that I'm going to step out, but I actually do it. It also shows how hard it is 
to go about these things in life without Christ? How am I going to walk across this tightrope of life and go through all these struggles and whatever it is I'm going to face in the life? How am I going to do that on my own? So what I would love us to focus on today, what I'd invite you in today is let's have a look at the message God has given us and how we can share that with others, how we can be transformed by this life-giving message of stepping out in faith and invite other people to do the same. If you haven't found a picture of what faith is in your life, you're still exploring that, my question for you today is, how can I get a clear picture of what faith is? And for you today, I really want to focus in on sharing the gospel message, laying that out for you in a way, using a few illustrations that point us to what God has done to make relationship with Him possible and to invite you into that. And if you're someone who's there and saying, well, I have faith in my life, I'm living that out the best way I can, I really want to encourage you to ask this question, how am I sharing that with the people around me? my loved ones, my close ones, the people I meet on the street, whoever it may be. And I'm hoping that some of the things I can lay out here in this message will give you some different avenues of sharing and communicating God's life-giving message with people. Because we can speak about a lot of spiritual truths. We can speak about all these things that uh, we think uh, faith is all about. You know, I can be a good person, I can do good things, but is that enough? For me, I don't believe it is, because I've tried that. It didn't work for me. You may be sitting in a space in your life going, do, do I recognize the need for God in my life? What does a relationship with God look like? These are the things that we have to ask ourselves in this journey we called life. So let me uh, lay out where we're going to head from here. Uh, we're basically, we're going to unpack the gospel message and then we're going to look at how we can share that with others. So let's get straight into that. I haven't uh, shared any of the Bible verses with, with the team or uh, won't speak them out as much, but I, what I'd encourage you to do is to put in the chat some of the verses that back up some of the things that we're talking about today. I'll refer to the Bible verses that I read out, but if there's themes and things along the way, what a great way for us to communicate and to share with each other Bible verses God's putting on our heart that relay the gospel message and the importance of why we should share that with others. Because this message, it's for each and every one of us. Those who are still exploring faith and those that have been walking this journey for a long time. It's crucial that we know who we're putting our faith in, why we can do that with confidence, and how we can do that without shame. And not only how we put our faith in Him, but how God has revealed to us who He is and just how much, just how desperately He loves us and wants relationship with us. So today, let's kick off with Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And this is Paul starting off his letter in the Bible to the Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone 
who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's see if anybody in the chat knows where that, book, that comes from. The righteous will live by faith. Here's a little clue. It's from the Old Testament. So when you study the book of Romans in the Bible, you walk into a courtroom. First, Paul called Jews and Gentiles to the stand and found both guilty before God. Then he explained God's marvelous way of salvation, a justification through faith. And at this point, he answered his accusers and defended God's salvation. He says, this plan of salvation will encourage people to sin. That was their response to what Paul was telling them about the gospel. Who was saying, well, this is going to just lead people into sin. It's against the very law of God. But Paul stands against that. He sets them straight. He says, in doing so, the Christian, can, the Christian man or woman can experience victory, liberty, and security. These promises that the gospel will set us free. The power of salvation to live and walk in faith. So why would Paul even be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? Why does he have to make this declaration that he's not ashamed of it to the Romans? Well, for one thing, the gospel was identified with a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified. The Romans had no special appreciation for the Jews and crucifixion was the lowest form of execution given to the common criminal. Why put your faith in a Jew who was crucified? See, Rome was a proud city and the gospel came from Jerusalem, the capital city of one of these little nations, insignificant places that Rome had conquered. And the Christians in that day were not among the elite of society. They were common people and even slaves. Rome had known many great philosophers and philosophies. Why pay attention to a fable, what they believed to be a fable about a Jew who arose from the dead? Christians looked at each other as brothers and sisters, all in one in, in Christ, which went against the very grain of Rome, uh, the pride and dignity. To think of a little, little Jewish tent maker going to Rome to preach such a, such a message, it's almost humorous. But Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He was not ashamed of the message he had to carry. He had confidence in his message and he gave us several reasons to explain why he was not ashamed. And the reason I go into this is because we're in the same boat. We're in the same position. It was reminded to me as I spoke through with Natasha about this message that being a Christian isn't always a popular position in society. It doesn't always bring popularity and the kind of things that the world might afford to somebody. You know, respect, dignity, all those kind of things. But we have a reason not to be ashamed of the gospel. And we have to know what that is and stand firm in it if we're going to go and preach this life-giving message to people without shame. So the first reason why we're not ashamed of the gospel is because it's a gospel of Christ. It doesn't come from us. We don't just make it up and go around and share our own version of it. It is the gospel of Christ. 
handed down from God to us, revealed to us through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, any message that was handed down from Caesar would be immediately getting the attention of the Roman people. But the message of the gospel is from and about the very Son of God. It's in this sentence where Paul lays it out. This is the gospel coming from God. How could be ashamed of such a message when it came from God and sent it on his son? The next point is that the operation of the gospel is the power of God at work. Why be ashamed of power? Power was one of those things that Rome boasted of and connected with. See, Greece might have had its philosophy, but Rome had its power. The fear of Rome hovered over the empire like a cloud. Were they not the conquerors? Were they not the legions stationed all over the known world, holding on to that control? But with all of her military power, Rome was still a weak nation. Many people had referred to it in ways, uh, cesspool, cesspool of iniquity, filthy sewer into which the dregs of the empire flood. Just some places where all the sin and deprivation of the world came out through its people. And see, this is why Paul was not ashamed, because he was taking to sinful Rome the one message that could save its people and had the power to change that nation. He'd seen the gospel work in other wicked cities. He'd seen it work in his own life. He'd seen it work in the lives of others, just like it is for us. We think of our own testimonies. We focused on last, last week. Jess laid it out perfectly well. We've seen beautiful examples of just how the testimony of life before Christ, meeting Christ, and what God can do with even the simplest of a life. And there was a third reason that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. And it's because the outcome of the gospel is the power of God until salvation. The word salvation carried a tremendous meaning back in that day. It still does for us, I believe. Its basic meaning is deliverance, and it was applied to personal and national deliverance. The emperor was looked upon as a saviour, as well as the physician who healed you of illness. But the gospel delivers sinners from the penalty and the power of sin. This salvation is a major theme in the letter. It's the great need of the human race. It was then, it is now, and it always will be. Because without it, we're just like that person trying to walk the tightrope without any help, just in our own strength, in our own courage, in our own wisdom. If men and women are to be saved, it is through faith in Jesus Christ as proclaimed in this gospel. And the last point I want to make on that is that is for everyone who makes a decision to believe. It's not an exclusive message. It wasn't an exclusive message for the Romans. And that's where it talks about first to the Jew and to the Gentile. This becomes available to each and every one of us because we all need a saviour in our life. It just depends what we're trying to have save us. And I've tried a lot of things outside of Jesus and nothing brought the same satisfaction, the same outcome to those beliefs. See, God does not ask men to behave in order to be saved, but to believe. Uh, that one really hit home. 
And for those of us that try and work really hard to behave well and to be good and to do all these good things in order to be saved, God calls us to believe, not to behave. The flow on of belief is that behavior changes, that transformation. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. See, it's faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. It's eternal life in Christ is one gift that is suitable for each and every one of us, no matter what our need may be or our station in life. And Romans one seventeen, it's the key verse of this letter. In it, Paul announces the theme, the righteousness of God. The word righteousness is used in one way or another over 60 times in this letter. Righteous, just, justified. These are all the references. God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel. For in the death of Christ, God revealed his righteousness by punishing sin. And in the resurrection of Christ, he revealed his righteousness by making salvation available to each and every person that believes. So one of these questions that comes up for us, so how can a holy God forgive sinners but still be holy? And it's answered right here in the gospel. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, God is seen to be both just and justifier. See, the gospel reveals a righteousness that is by faith. And in the Old Testament, and a lot of the way that we try and do it in our own strength, righteousness is by works. But we soon discover that we can't obey all of God's laws and meet these high standards. So this is a, an introduction here to the gospel. Here's some of the main points and hopefully an encouragement to you as to why you don't have to be ashamed to carry God's life-giving message to people, to share this with others, to invite people into this. See, it's up to each individual to receive and believe the message that we carry. It's up to us to share it. So I want to go in and have a look and just unpack some of these illustrations of that, that get brought up in the gospel just a little bit more. I uh, want to share with you uh, something known as the five-second gospel. Chris, I don't know how, I've only got like 10 seconds to talk to somebody, to share the love of Jesus with them. What am I going to say? How am I going to do it? Well, this is one of the ways that it's been suggested. God loves us, we fall short, Christ paid for it, we must receive him. Okay, four and a, four and a half seconds. Still got time left over to share some love and a smile, hey? But we want to unpack this and better understand because we know that when we share the gospel with people, there's going to be questions, there's going to be a journey that people are going to ask us to go on. And maybe we're just the one that plants a seed and someone else comes along and goes, you know what, I've heard people saying that to me all my life. What does it actually mean? And here's some of the ways that you can come back and share it with people. So I'm going to give you another illustration now. It's called The Judge. And it's a beautiful picture of how our relationship with God is revealed through Christ. Several years ago, there was this story going around that illuminates what Jesus did on the cross to solve God's problem in dealing with our sin. A young woman was arrested for breaking the law. She, know, she knew she'd been caught red-handed and couldn't deny her guilt and later stood in front of a judge and admitted what she'd done. 
The man wearing the robe was a kind man, but he was also a just judge. And he knew he just couldn't let her off the hook. She'd broken the law, and so he gave her the penalty prescribed to her by the law. The girl was required to pay a steep fine, one that she couldn't afford or else end up in jail. But then the man did an amazing thing. He stood up, took off his judge's robe, stepped down from the bench, took off that hat thing that they wear. Don't know what that's, maybe a billfold is what my notes say it is, but you know that stuff I'm talking about. He walked over to where she was standing and he pulled out his wallet and he looked her right in the eyes and offered all the money that she needed to pay the fine. Why would he do this? It's the question that I asked when I heard this story. Why would he do this? Because the judge was her father. He loved his daughter, and yet he was a just judge. She'd broken the law, and he couldn't simply say to her, just because I love you so much, I can forgive you, you can go scot-free. Had he done such a thing, he would not have been a righteous judge. He would have not upheld the law. But because of the love for his daughter, he was willing to take off his judicial robe, step down to her position, assume his relationship with her as as her father, and offer to pay the fine. But now the girl has a choice to make. Would she let go of her pride and humbly reach out to receive her father's generous offer? Or would she insist on trying to prove she didn't need help from him or anyone else and end up going to jail? I wonder where you find yourself in the story today. Because this story illustrates the situation between us and God. God is holy and just. And he said to us, you've broken my laws, you've sinned against me, you've rebelled against me, you've fallen short. And the wages of this sin you're living in is spiritual death. But he's also a loving father who says, I love you. I want to make a way to make this right between us. And so he comes down and pays the penalty himself. He takes off his heavenly robes and comes to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He pays the price for our sins by dying on the cross. And in his resurrection, brings to us new life in him and with him. So we too have this choice to make. Humbly receive this free gift of grace, mercy, forgiveness, eternal life and relationship with him. Or to reject his sacrifice and spend the rest of our lives and eternity trying to make it up, trying to pay a debt that we can never fully pay. See, human beings, we were were created to be good, but we've all fallen short of the mark. We're all deserving of the spiritual death described here, a separate and eternal separation from God. But God has given us his beautiful only begotten son, who died and rose again as our sacrifice. He stands in our place, our substitute, and offers his life as a payment for the forgiveness of our sins. 
What do we do with this? We must respond. We are left in a position where we have to ask him to forgive us and lead us. Or else turn away and continue doing it in our own way, in our own strength. And if we've done that enough times, we know exactly where that leads. I want to try and land us today uh, on a bridge illustration. This is one of the ones that you can sit down and you can do with people and you can ask them, where do you see yourself in this picture? And um, ideally, I would have liked to have got the whiteboard and done all that, but I want to encourage you guys to get a piece of paper and a pen now and do it for yourselves along the way. Okay, maybe we can send in some pictures of what your bridge looks like and we'll see if they all line up. All right. So, and as well, if you notice some of the verses that underpin these messages here, chuck them in the chat. Let's continue to throw them in together today. So God loves us. We matter to God. He wants a relationship with us. So we're going to start this by writing us and God on each side of the paper. But we fall short. We rebel against God, actively, passively, in our hearts, in our minds, in our behaviours. We all disobey Him in some way. We all go against His Word. And it's this sin that separates us from Him. We break off the relationship with a loving God. So I want to ask you to draw some lines, like a, a box that separates us and God. Yeah? And to various degrees, most of us are aware of this separation we have from God. I know I was, but it took me a long time to admit that that was the truth. And so trying to make this right in our own strength, we do all kinds of things to try and get back to God, to try and make it right. Maybe being a good person, saying nice things, uh, trying to follow the law. I don't know, maybe come along to church, give to charity. You know, we try and do all these things to make this situation right. In some ways, try and make ourselves feel better. There's nothing wrong with this, but the Bible makes it clear that none of these things can earn us God's forgiveness or re-establish our relationship with Him. And that's the main problem that we have. So I want to ask you, on the side that says us, draw a couple of lines going down. So it's like our attempt to cross this gap between us and God. But the, line, the lines point down, yeah? And at the bottom of your page... I'd like you to write the word death. And I just want to touch on that. What I'm talking about here is our attempts to try and reach God always fall short. And the sins that we've committed must be punished. And that penalty we owe is a spiritual death. It's an eternal separation from God. So we've got the word death at the moment. Let's just quickly do a recap. Us, God, our relationship locked off. And the arrow is pointing down to death. This is the predicament that we're all in. And there's nothing we can do in our own strength to change it. And I admit that this picture looks bleak. But it's important to understand the reality of how much trouble we're in apart from Christ. Do you remember that wheelbarrow trying to get across this bridge, this gap in our own strength? 
It's so precarious. But there's good news. And that's why it's so important that we know the gospel message inside and out, that we're prepared to give a reason for the faith that we have in Christ. See, as I said in the beginning, we matter to God. He wants a relationship with us. He loves us. He's done everything possible to bridge this gap between us and Him. And so I want to ask you to draw a big cross right across the page. Because that's Jesus dying on the cross as our substitute, paying the price that our spiritual death deserves. And in rising from the dead, he gives us new life. So I want you to cross out that word death. And I want to share him with you a hallelujah, a praise God in the highest, that that is made possible through what God has done through Jesus. So this is a picture, this is a central message of the gospel, of the Bible. And that's what God wants each of us to understand. But if you remember back to the first illustration of the tightrope walker, it's not just enough to believe. It's not just enough for me to say, oh yeah, I think that this is going to save me. I have to actually step out in faith and respond to believe, receive Jesus into my life. I humbly admit that I have fallen short, that I have rebelled against God, and that nothing I can do in my own strength can make it right between Him. I need His forgiveness. I need His leadership. And this simple act of trust and obedience results in our sins being forgiven and our debt being paid. Our relationship with God is firmly established because we're all immediately adopted into His family for all of eternity. So let's uh, end this bridge illustration on a happy note. We have a stick figure of us on one side and we have some arrows going across that bridge and it signifies us putting our faith in Christ and what he's done and no longer, remind, remain, no longer relying on my own strength, my own good works and draw a little stick figure over on the side of God in right relationship, in right standing with him. When you sum up the book of Romans, if I'm come back to the verses that we unpack today, the central message is be right. Be right with God. Be right with yourself and with others. And the righteousness of God revealed by faith makes it possible for us to live right lives. Rome needed that message and we, we need it right now. I need it every day. And there's so many people in our lives that need that message too. I want you to think back to the three friends or family members card that Melissa shared with us a few weeks ago. The people that we've been praying for, that we've been thinking about how to share the gospel message with them, praying for opportunities to talk with them about God. I want us to think about this week, what we can commit to, What ways in which we can share the gospel message with those people who have been in our prayers. Encourage you uh, in response to the message today. Let's be a community of faith that holds each other accountable in truth and in love. 
let's put some commitments into the chat today and say, this is what I'm going to do to respond to the gospel message. This is the person I'm going to share it with. This is the illustration I'm going to use. This is what I'm going to do to better equip myself to be prepared to share this message. I'm going to share one last illustration for us today. And it's called the airplane illustration. And it's a helpful tool for us when we can get complacent in our relationship with God, when we can just get a little bit stagnant. And it's also really good for those who we may have been sharing the message with for a long time. And we just see they're hearing it, uh, but maybe not responding to it. And look, obviously, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, in their hearts. Um, God will reap the harvest in their lives at just the right time. And one of the ways that we can encourage people and share a story about what it's like to know these truths, but to never actually live them or put our belief this is one of the illustrations that's really good reminders for us that we can know all this stuff, but if we're not living it out, if we're not demonstrating it, it's like um, studying the science of aviation. We hang around in airports. We learn all about the physics of flight. We know which airlines have the safest records. We pick the best craft to fly in. We reserve our flight. We drive to the airport. We go to the gate, we double-check the cockpit crews, their credentials. But we never actually get on the plane. See, all that stuff never does us any good unless we get in our seat and get ready to take off. Sometimes it's going to be a risk personally to you, your popularity, um, the opinion of others that you share and step out in faith to share this gospel message. But unless we invite people to that plane to take off, it's no use knowing all this stuff without doing anything about it because our knowledge won't get us anywhere. We have to act on what we know. We have to get on board the airplane and trusting it will take us where we want to go. Sometimes we just have to step out in faith and say, Lord, I know you can do this. I can't do it, but you can. Help me. Let's do it together. And I guarantee you, God will meet you where you're at. So, for those that have never made a decision to follow Christ before, you're hearing these illustrations, you're thinking about where you're sitting in response to this gospel message and saying, you know what, today I want to step over that line. I want to encourage you today to share in the salvation prayer of this today. For those of us that have been walking this journey for a while and want to do more, for the sake of Christ and the glory of the gospel. I want to encourage you and remind you of the Great Commission to go into all nations and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So friends, I'm going to hand over to the band today. I'm going to ask that we close out in that salvation message. And for those that are just preparing the field of their hearts to receive today, let's open ourselves up to what God has for us. Let's get right with him so that we can stand unashamed and share God's life-giving message with others, the people in our lives that we know he has given us to share this with. I love you, my dear church family, and pray that this message can equip and bless you in Jesus' name.